Okay, let's have a seat, everybody. How many like my rocking chair? Is that a pretty cool deal? That's right. I'm doing well after my knee surgery, and uh, uh, so I'm just very, very grateful. Let's pray. Lord, you're so wonderful, and we trust you. And Lord, we really need your spirit to teach us what individually we need to know. Take really difficult, complicated truths and make them simple today. In Jesus' name, everyone said amen. amen. Let's open your Bibles to Luke chapter 9. Everybody got a Bible? Hold your Bible up. Let's see it. Got your Bible? Luke 9. We'll cover three verses in just a minute. want to tell you a quick story. Has anybody ever read that book, Follow the River, Hold Your Hand Up? There's one back there. Three of us. Wonderful. It's been a while since I've read this book. It is a true story. It's about Mary Ingalls. Say Mary Ingalls. Not the one from Little House on the Prairie. This is a different one. And she uh, is 23 years of age. Living in what was then Virginia, today it's West Virginia, uh, happily married, small farm, two young boys. She is pregnant with her third child. What the community did not know is that week, something called the French and Indian War broke out. They had had peace in the valley. They had native peoples come and go. They had friendships with, they traded But on this particular morning, these 16 young braves started killing people in Draper's Meadow. They killed them or they kidnapped them. They took five of them, including Mary and her two young boys, off. And they were on their way to what is today Xenia, Ohio, near Dayton. So from West Virginia all the way to Dayton to what was then a huge Shawnee village called Chillicothe. True story. So Mary and the two boys were taken hostage. This is an old photo of the original cabin where Mary and her husband lived. Uh, Today there's a replica on the site. She was pregnant at the time and all this difficult a uh, non-resting trail. Uh, she gave birth to that third child and the child died. Her two young sons were adopted out to different Shawnee families. This is actually a postcard of the Ingalls family ferry. Ferrying was a big business on rivers at the time. She was a draper, so it was Draper Meadows, and this is Ingalls fairy. She is a plucky woman. And so the Shawnees took uh, an expedition to come to Kentucky to make salt. You just couldn't buy salt at a grocery store. You had to make it at a place where there were a lot of minerals in the ground. So they came down to Big Bone Lick State Park. You ever been there? Uh, that is in Boone County, right off 71. And since there was a lot of tar and minerals, think La Brea Tar Pits in Los Angeles, a lot of prehistoric animals came there trying to get the minerals and they got trapped and died because they couldn't get out. So there's a representative of what some of them looked like. And Mary just said, I'm going home. I'm not going to be married to another man. I'm married to my husband and I love him and I'm going back to Virginia. And so she talked in another captive uh, to go with her. And when the Shawnee Braves went to sleep, they just walked off into the darkness. The next morning, the Shawnees found out that they were gone. And you know what? They didn't care. They said, those stupid women, the wolves will eat them in two days. So they just said, oh, they're gone. Let's not worry about them. So this is important. What? Look at the map. This is the only way she knew to get home. 
So she's in the top left at Big Bone Lick State Park. And she wants to get all the way back to her home, which is near Blacksburg, West, uh, I guess it's West Virginia, right? Virginia. 600 miles. This was in the fall, late fall, when she decided to, to leave. And they're estimating she probably hiked close to a thousand miles. Because she crossed, she and this other woman crossed up to 145 streams, creeks, and very large rivers. Now, what makes this so amazing is that, what river is this? Anybody know? This is a new river in West Virginia. She couldn't swim. So every time she got to a river of any size... She'd have to hike down the length of the river to a place where she could wade across and then hike back up the river because she only knew how to get back to her home by following the Ohio River, which would lead her into other rivers. Now, if you've lived in northern Kentucky or if you've been around Newport and Covington, you will see on the side of some of the roads a marker that says Mary Ingalls Highway, which meant that is the direct way she would have hiked. It took her 42 miserable, difficult, suffering days to get back to her home in Draper's Meadow. And it is a story of pain and suffering and heartbreak you say, well, Steve, that has encouraged me to read this if it's so dismal and painful, but it's a story of triumph. Now that leads me to the passage we're going to read today. So let me open your Bibles and let's read these three verses. Verse 23, chapter 9 of Luke. And he said to all, if anyone, say anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up its cross, how often? Daily and follow me. For whoever has the goal of saving or preserving his life will end up losing it in the end. But whoever loses his life, whoever gives his life to me, and trust me, for my sake will save it. The next verse, for what does it profit a man if he gains a whole world and ends up losing himself? So let's go through this phrase by phrase and let's study it. I pray the Holy Spirit will make it meaningful to you. And it starts off, if anyone, say anyone. And anyone means what? What does anyone mean? Anyone means anyone. So this invitation was for all. It's still for all. And if you accept the invitation, then you have four very hard decisions that you have to make. And I want to say this passage has been one of my greatest joys, but I've probably shed more tears over this. This has been a struggle for me because the Lord is saying, Steve, Will you follow me? Yes, I will. Okay. Well, guess what's next? Now, there's a lot of strong restrictions with this invitation. It is not for the faint of heart. And I believe that most people will not accept it. I want you to be one of the few that will accept it. And I pray that I will have the courage to accept it and keep accepting it. Because not only is it a daunting and difficult challenge, it is the greatest invitation that the Creator can give to any mortal. And it's worth our studying. Anyone can do this, or anyone can say no to this. Now, uh, in my office, I've been reading through the C.S. Lewis Study Bible, which I've enjoyed. 
and I just finished a biography of C.S. Lewis. So I'm kind of steeped in some of Lewis's quotes. He has a quote about this. And he says this, the call to follow Jesus is a great honor, but it is a costly honor. Say that with me, please. Costly honor. Then he goes on to talk about it. The higher up one is called, because you're not just called once. You're called to new things. The higher one up is called, the more costly it becomes. And he says it, and I agree with him, the journey never gets easier. Uh, Steve, don't discourage me. I don't want to discourage you. I want you to see this as Jesus talks about it. For instance, the apostle Paul chose to follow Jesus on his journey. And did his life get easier or did his life get harder? It got much, much harder. The Lord Jesus, obeying his father's call to ransom mankind, did it get easier or did it get harder even the last week of his life? I think it got much harder. And you read the stories of every great servant of the Lord. Joseph, tough life. Moses, hard, difficult decisions that he had to wrestle with God over and then decide to obey him. And then Nehemiah, that wonderful book that I love, is full of difficult pressured decisions that Nehemiah has to make in order to rescue God's people. We see Esther, this young Jewish girl who becomes the queen of the king of the Persian empire. Difficult decisions, difficult life. And then the mother of our savior. When that angel Gabriel came to her, came to this teenager It was a great honor that Jewish girls all over Israel wished, wow, I wish I could be the mother of the Messiah. And it was a great honor. But also the prophet Simeon later said to her, a sword is going to pierce your heart, not just once, but throughout your lifetime. And the struggles and the eventual martyrdom of the apostle Paul. Now, did Jesus promise abundant life to his that followed him? Yes or no? Did he promise abundant life? Yes. Yes, he did. John 10, 10. I've had an abundant life, but he also promises a cross. Now, there was a movie out. I'm going to turn to Genesis 12 and I want to just read a verse. Abraham's call, Genesis 12. There was a movie out this past spring made by a Iraqi war veteran, a young filmmaker. And I think he crowdfunded it. I think he made it for under $300,000 and, uh, he's already working on his second film, but that film, his only son, the story of Abraham, it just touched me because I could see the scriptures come alive through the actors and how they portrayed this. Let me read this, chapter 12, verse 1. Now the Lord said to Abraham, go from your country, from your kindred, your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. So in verse 1, Abraham gets his call, and the call is to abandon everything. Everything he knows, everything he's comfortable with, all of his family, all of his friends to a very uncertain future. His only consolation was, I'll make you a great nation. But he never lived to see it. And during, during this movie, I just watched the tension, especially between Abram and his wife, Sarah, or Sarah. You know, he announces to her one day, well, uh, we're leaving. Why are we leaving? 
God showed up last night. Oh, your God showed up. What did he tell you? Uh, to leave everything and everyone. So you trust this God? I don't know your God. And then a couple of scenes later, she comes back and says, oh, can, can you tell me where we're going? And what does he say? Um, I don't know. Well, why don't you know? Why would we leave somewhere and not know where we're going? Because he hasn't told me. And you trust this. I guess I do. And then it goes by. The promise we just read that through your offspring, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. And this young wife says, you know, offspring means children. And we've been married 10 years and no children. In 15 years, no children. 20 years and no children. How can you trust a God who says we will have children when we haven't had children? Can you explain that to me? And the later on, later on, she comes up with a scheme. Well, I can't have children, but legally we can have children through my servant. So after the servant becomes pregnant, after the baby comes, Ishmael, and then it goes really bad in the mobile home park. <laughs> you got to get rid of this woman. Why do, why do I have to get rid of this woman? It's all your idea. Honey, it was your idea. I didn't want to do this. It's your idea. She is rolling her eyes at me. She's showing contempt. You drive this woman out. Boy, what a difficult place Abram was in. And Sarah. And then as, after the promised boy is born and he's eight or ten years of age, one day Abram announces he's taking their son and some servants and going away. And could you imagine mama saying in the morning, where are you taking our son? Was he going to tell her? Oh, we're going to worship. We're going to church of the savior, the second service. <laughs> we'll be back sometime. It's not easy to follow the Lord. It's a blessing, but it's not always easy. Then, then Jesus said, whoever would come after me. So the issue is coming after. And here's a question I want to throw out to all of you. Is this a one-time decision? Is this a one-time decision? Is it? It's a one-time decision for me, but it, is it a decision that you have to constantly make Again, because he's asking you more stuff and the stuff he's asking you is not fun stuff or stuff you want to do. So the answer is yes and yes. And a lot of people don't choose to say yes to him later on. So what the Lord does, he keeps asking us, will you come after me no matter, no matter what, no matter who stops, no matter how discouraged, no matter how it looks uncertain. Or it's not going to work. Or it's disappointing. This issue of uncertainty will mess with us. And I'm, in many ways, I'm glad he doesn't tell me the future. He sometimes gives me a big picture. gives me the next step. If he was to give me more details, the enemy would use it against me. So the Lord protects me by not giving me too many details. I couldn't take them. I'd either get arrogant or I'd get afraid and I'd stop following. Will you follow me, Steve, no matter how difficult it gets? No matter if your heart gets broken, will you keep following me or will you quit? And if it doesn't turn out the way you thought it would turn out, like Abraham, if it doesn't turn out the way you thought it would turn out, will you keep walking with me? So, it's normally not a problem to follow Jesus to this point because the church service was wonderful. We got donuts. You didn't get donuts, right? No, no donuts. Youth camp is awesome. 
Going to crew at UK is wonderful. Going on YWAM for six months or a year is like a, a piece of heaven. And then the other shoe drops. And then he starts asking hard questions. Until the next point comes. Steve, will you deny yourself? And the answer is, shoot, no. I don't want to deny myself. Do you want to deny yourself? I don't know anybody I've ever met that wants to deny themselves. We want to exalt ourselves. How many, how many of you guys like to deny yourself? Hold your hand up. Okay. How many argue with God sometimes? Hold your little honest hands if you argue with God. I argue with God. I try not to. But I just go, Lord, I don't get this. I don't understand. So what happens is when he asks us to follow him, then he's going to ask us to deny something that's very special to us. We have two choices. Either we're going to deny ourselves or we're going to promote ourselves. And that's in every Certain situation. If my marriage is bad and the Lord tells me to love my wife as Christ loved the church, I have a choice. Am I going to deny myself and show kindness to my wife or am I going to act like a horse's southern exposure end? Now, maybe you guys are a lot holier than me. I would, sus- I would suspect you're very much holier than I am. You're smarter. You obey the Lord quicker than me. But here's what happens in my case. Every time, every time he asks me to, de- to deny myself, then my flesh jumps out of the closets and starts screaming and yelling for my rights. And I'll tell you why that happens. So he asked me to do something. I start arguing. And I say, I have said this, Lord, I'm not going to do that. By the way, it's not wise to tell God what you're going to do and what you're not going to do. Well, and then, and then to say, well, Lord, surely what I'm hearing is not what you're saying. And I've even gone as far to say, Lord, you don't ask other people. Why are you asking me? Why do you put me in all these difficult spots? Can you just give me a break where you don't ask me to do that stuff? Here's why our flesh jumps out and starts arguing. Paul wrote about it in Galatians 5. He said, the desire of the flesh is always, always, always against the will of the Holy Spirit. And the will of the Holy Spirit is always, always, always against my flesh. Because it's my flesh that wants to suppress the work of God's Spirit to keep me from obeying the Lord. My selfishness, my pride, my fear, my desire to control, all that stuff just comes out. So here's a big problem. We want to be in control, don't we? Anybody feel like you want to be in control? Some of you have a master's degree in being a control freak. And you cannot control the kingdom. You cannot control the future. You can't hardly control anything. And when you get to that place, I don't have to be in control. Because if I'm in control, Jesus is not in control. My goal is to let Jesus be in control and I ride with him. Now, so we got, we got the flesh creeping out of us. Then we have our adversary. Everyone say adversary. An adversary is someone who has sworn to do all he can to take you down. And that's the devil. And that is Satan. And just like he was messing with the Lord Jesus in the wilderness, those three times he started speaking to the Lord Jesus, you need recognition. Why don't you just 
jump off of this building. Let an angel rescue you. Or you're hungry. You've been fasting 40 days. You can turn these stones into bread. Go ahead and do it. Now, what the enemy says has said to me in the past is, Steve, you know better than God. You know what's best. God really doesn't understand your deal. What a stupid deal. God doesn't really understand. Or you don't have to deny yourself. You should stand up for yourself. Because if you don't take care of yourself, no one else will. I can't tell you the number of couples whose marriages are in trouble. I will often hear one of them say, if I don't take care of myself, no one will. I go, that is from the pit of hell and smells like smoke. I get this a lot too. Steve, you can't trust God. You can trust him for a few things, but you can't trust him for everything. And it fuels my pride. And then I hear this. He doesn't have your best interests at heart. If you follow Jesus in a radical way, you're going to be cheated from so much in this world. It's all a lie. here's the last one, the last one of mine that I'll mention. Steve, you know, God's asking way too much, way too much. Way, what is he thinking? God is asking way too much. And that's why a lot of people just stop following Jesus. Do you realize in one of the parallel passages I listed here at the top of your page, Jesus gave a horrible sermon with no PowerPoint, no pretty pictures. And it was about him dying. And that sermon got really distasteful for the crowd that was following Jesus, Jesus up to that time. And guess what happened? But the time 1215 came, just about 90% of them left. And Jesus turned to the 12 and said, are you leaving too? Judas had everything going for him, but he couldn't wait. He had to play God. Now, I'm just going to ask a few rhetorical questions here. Okay, pastor, let's say God wants me to to deny myself and do what he wants. Will God make me deny myself what do you think what's the answer will he make you deny yourself is that yes or no he will not do you know why he won't because you're not a robot he gave you the greatest gift the power of free choice now here's what he's done in my life he will ramp up the pressure on me and i'm glad he does Just like Moses, he asked Moses to follow him and liberate his people. And Moses started giving all these excuses why it wouldn't work. And God just kept ramping up the pressure. And he's ramped up the pressure on me. And he's probably ramping up the pressure on you. You can still say no, but he does it because he loves us. He doesn't want us to miss the opportunity and the blessing. Here's another thing. If you don't learn to deny yourself... You will miss intimacy with him. And the people that he wants you to help, the calling that you have on your life, and every one of us have a calling, they will never get helped because you never denied yourself because you decided to be the Lord of your life and not let him. And your family, because you disobeyed the Lord, will miss a legacy that they were destined to have. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself. And by the way, it gets stronger. Now here's a good part. What's the solution, Steve? I feel the pressure. What's the solution? The solution is is simply surrendering. 
not holding on, not clutching, not telling him no. You can still surrender and say, you don't like it. You can still surrender and say, I don't know how it's going to work. You can still surrender and say, Lord, I don't know. I don't understand any of this, but I will surrender. I will say yes to you. You make up the difference. So stop clutching. Let's just practice this just for a minute. Take both hands like this. Take both hands like this. Take both hands like this and open them. Lord, I let go. I surrender. Because if you think about it, that verse 25 says, What man is there among you who thinks he can save his life or preserve his life? He will end up losing the very thing he wanted to hang on to. Now, this is the most important thing I will say. The other part of the freedom piece is to surrender your rights. Everyone say it with me, please. Your rights to him. You see, when you gave your heart to Jesus, you became his servant. And a servant back in the time of Jesus had how many rights? No rights. He slept where he was told to sleep. He did what he was told to do. If he was going to be married, he was told who he was going to marry. He was completely surrendered to his master. And a servant has no rights. So the secret to all this is to say, Lord, you want me to deny myself? I say yes. I give up the things I treasure. So in turn, you will at some point in time give them back to me as privileges. For instance, I was 26 when Sue and I got married. Uh, I love the thought of being married, prayed for my wife for seven years before I met her. But one day the Lord met me and said, Steve, are you willing to be single the rest of your life if that's what I want for you in order to help more people? I didn't like that, but I said yes. He gave me the privilege of having a wonderful wife. We tried for six years to have children and it was very difficult. It was painful, a lot of tears. One day the Lord came and said, Steve, are you willing to never have children so you can help other people's children? I said, Lord, if that's your plan, I I can be happy with or happy without. And bless the Lord, he gave us two wonderful sons. Now the trick to this, I surrender my right. He will grant them back at some point in time, but it's his time and it's his way. And when that happens, it gives me a heart of gratitude. I didn't deserve a good wife. I got a great wife. I didn't deserve to have good sons. I got great sons. I didn't deserve to have a house. I gave up the freedom to never own a house, never own a piece of property again. And the Lord has given me the privilege to actually own a house And so it's given me gratitude. Lord, I'll sleep in the yard. I'll sleep under a tree. But you've given me a nice house. And it builds your faith as you go through these things. Let me add this. This is heavy. A life living for yourself is not worth living. It's living for Jesus and others. And God, when he looks at his servants, if a servant is determined to serve himself, God can't use that servant much. Point number four. Are you guys still with me? I haven't run anybody off, right? You're still here? Okay, here's what Jesus said. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself hard enough and then pick up his cross daily. And when Jesus said this, the room got quiet because they knew what this meant. And Jesus was purposely making a statement. See, we think of crosses, we don't get it. We see crosses, we think of pretty things like this and t-shirts with crosses 
It's a symbol of beauty to us. That's not how they saw it. Today, you see celebrities wearing crosses. Uh, that's great. Wear a cross. I hope you know what it means. But to the people of Jesus' audience, when he said, pick up your cross, they went, why? This is why. 1960, a movie came out called Spartacus. When I was a junior high kid, I saw that. It's a true story about gladiators decided not to die for for the government. And they revolted and they led this huge slave revolt. And this guy Spartacus led this revolt against the Roman Empire for two years. They beat every army that came against them. Amazing people. But after two years, the Romans finally wore them down and put an end to this slave rebellion. Out of the 70,000, only 6,000 were alive. And so you know what they did to the 6,000? They crucified them along the road between Capua, which is where the revolt started, and Rome, 120 miles away. So what was that like? Well, think between our entrance to the red light at Harrodsburg Road, there'd be 50 men on crosses. The Romans were making a statement. During the Jewish wars, the fall of Jerusalem, historians say the Romans were crucifying up to 500 Jews every day. The Mount of Olives was full of crosses and the Romans only stopped crucifying Jews when they ran out of wood. So when Jesus dropped this line, Whoever would follow me, pick up your cross. There had been probably 250,000 Jews crucified over four decades. So this is absolutely scandalous. Now to us, what does it mean, Steve? It means if I'm going to follow Jesus, he's asking me to pick up my cross, which is a willingness An agreement for my own death. Not just physical, it's a greater death. See, when it says daily, I mean, how many times can you die? How many? Like, you can't die every day. But what can die every day is your will. What can die every day are your rights. Steve, will you give up your rights to honor me? Yes, Lord. We'll do it. Galatians 2.20. I've been crucified with Christ. No longer I live. But Christ is going to live big in me. And the life I live in the flesh, I live by faith to obey him. And the son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. You see these hosses, these are Mustangs. Do you know what Mustangs are good for? Pretty pictures, and that's it. Out west, herds of Mustangs, you try to pet one, and they will bite your face off. Or they will kick your brains in. You know why? Because a Mustang is not good for anything except a pretty picture. What is good is a Mustang that has been tamed and has surrendered its will to its owner and becomes a cutting horse on a big ranch and uses its superb athleticism for the master's goal. So Jesus is saying, Steve, will you give up your dreams? Yes, Lord, because I know you give me bigger dreams. Will you give up your future, what you think about the future? Yes, Lord, because I know you've got a bigger future. Will you give up the right to decide how to live your life? Yes, Lord, I don't want to make decisions anymore. I want to listen. 
Uh, uh, you know, ready for your pastor's testimony? This is what has hurt me following Jesus. Is that when he comes to me, he puts his finger on something and says, Steve, this needs to die. And then I start arguing with him because I want recognition. I want life the way I think life should be. Life never turns out the way you think it should be. Or I want life to look like what I think it should look like. Never happened. Because the more of me that's alive to my flesh, the less and less God will do in me and through me. John the Baptist said, less of me, more of him. You know, I had these dreams for 10 years in business. My family, we were in business. We had multiple businesses, not big businesses, but I had dreams. I was ambitious. I served Jesus. I worked jobs and I worked my businesses. And after 10 years, the Lord came to me one day subtly and put his finger on my dreams and said, would you give them all up? Will you shut it down? Would you walk away from it? And you know what I told him? No. Because I had my life figured out. And uh, you ready for some honesty here? I had a fear problem and I didn't know it. I knew Jesus called me. I wanted Jesus to use me, but I had a subconscious fear I didn't know existed. And here's what the fear looked like. If I serve Jesus, my wife and my kids, we will always be poor. We will never have enough. We will be begging, uh, cardboard in our shoes, never have enough money for food. It will always be very, very difficult. And for the Lord to break that fear, he had to make me, Steve, are you going to trust me or trust yourself? It took me three months to get through that. I argued with my wife. I thought she was the problem. I argued with my friends. I thought they were the problem. I argued with my customers thinking it was their problem. No, God was shutting all of it down and I would not listen until I finally just said, I surrender. Now, here's here's the bulk of your problem. Turn to your neighbor and say, okay, my, your problem is about to be shown up. Just turn to your neighbor. Your problem is about to be shown up. Here's your problem. Oh, by the way, don't put my name, please. I put my name. Put your name. Would you put your name down, please? Don't put my name. You are the problem. You won't let go. You won't die to yourself so Jesus can live big in you. That's the problem. It's not the devil. It's not your family. It's not people around you. It's you. And so what's the answer? Here's the answer. It's a simple answer. You tell him either yes. Everyone say yes. yes. One more time. Yes. A little louder. Yes. Don't tell him no. It's either a simple yes or a simple no. It's Romans 12, 1 through 2. And now I say simple. I didn't say easy. The Lord said to Abraham, this 25-year promise, okay, the boy's here. Would you take him? I want to see if you love the boy more or me more. This happened to me right before I came to Church of the Savior. I wanted to get on the mission field. I love the Muslim people. They're the great frontier of missions. At a church, I found out about a church who was looking for a senior pastor in Cairo. Church of 400 people, which is a big church for the Muslim world. Full of ambassadors, missionaries, expats. I read the job description. It fit me to a T. Uh, I just said, Lord, this is, he was telling me to leave where I was. I knew this was what he wanted. 
My wife, who said she didn't want to work with Muslims, she couldn't do that. She had a dream around Christmas time about Joseph and Mary fleeing to Egypt. She came to me and said, honey, I'll go wherever you want. If you want to work with Muslims, go. And so this church was interviewing us and another couple. It came down to us two couples. This was during the Persian Gulf War. And one day, God comes to the smart aleck. I felt like Abraham. Look what you got me into again, Sarah. <coughs> Excuse me. He, he said, Steve, would you lay this dream, this mission on the altar like Isaac? And I wasn't thinking. I said, of course I will. Because I know how Isaac turned out. It was bait and switch. Will you do it? Yeah, you gave Isaac back. So I said, sure, I'll lay my dream of Egypt on the altar. And the next week they called me and picked the other couple and Jesus killed my dream. My Isaac was dead and that put me in a funk. It's not fair, God. What did you do to me? My flesh needed to die in order for me to come here. Isaiah says this, worship team, would you guys come out? My thoughts are not your thoughts. My ways are not your ways. They're as different as the distance between heaven and earth. And then he said, follow me. He said it 22 times. One time's enough. He said it 22 times. See, if we, if we follow a leader, there can't be two leaders. Either he's leading and I follow, or what's my other option? Or I lead and I'm by myself. <laughs> and my car is off in the ditch. And I made a mess of my life. I made a mess of everything because he wanted to lead me, but I was too smart. can only be one leader and he for sure is not going to follow me no sir re I want to close with this illustration Acts 4 Acts 8 actually Philip one of the great deacons in, in the new church the Lord met him and said, I want you to go to a place other boys won't go. It's a place of hostility, idolatry. I want you to go to Samaria. And I want you to preach the gospel. And Philip just doesn't know any better. He just goes to Samaria. He doesn't know the future. You don't know the future. I don't know the future. He just went. And guess what happened? Revival broke out. Samaritans were so open to the gospel They saw miracles, people healed, people filled with the Holy Spirit. It was the most amazing thing. And in the middle of it, in verse 26, uh, the Lord comes to him again. Oh, by the way, changing plans, I want you to leave. No stinking way. I mean, I'm the guy that brought the revival. I, I don't think so. I think I brought the revival. Well, why should I leave when it just got started, Lord? That makes no sense. Where am I going? I want you to walk south. That's where you're going, toward Gaza. It makes no sense to you. It makes sense to me. So just go. Because he knows who you will have the greatest impact on. You don't know that. He knows where there are people strategically prepared for you. You don't know that. There's a caravan across the desert. Gifted people from Ethiopia. And there's a guy reading the scroll of Isaiah. And he's primed and ready. You go up to that chariot and explain it to him. And he knows how to use your gifts. And I don't. And you don't either. Read this out loud with me. In the midst of a war, 
the Jewish wars in Jerusalem. Read what God said. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you, not to harm you, plans to give you future and hope. Now you can keep your life if you want to. I've proven through trial and error, I'm not a very good keeper of my life. I stink at it. And I would guess you do too. And you can't afford to figure out your life. So would you just stop? Would you just stop it? Would you hear his voice? Would you follow him? Would you deny yourself? Would you pick up your cross? Because it does cost to obey God. But let me tell you what would cost more. Are you ready? It costs you far more not to. Now these last five or six minutes of our service is the most important. The first service the altar was just filled with people who were saying, I need to let go of something. I put an altar in my heart between me and God. And I need to get on track. I've said no to him for decades and I need to say yes so I can get my life in order. Lord Jesus, we ask, release your grace in this room. Grace in this room to let go, to surrender, just to say yes so you can have your way and make a great triumphant story of the lives of everyone here. Move now in Jesus' name. Amen. Altar is open. Come and do. stand as you're able. If you all are feeling led, you may come and bow before the Lord and surrender. There's also people here that would love to pray with you. We're just going to sing out this old hymn together, and I just encourage you to sing it with all of your heart.
just be a one-time thing, Lord, that we would continuously surrender to you and look more like you each day that goes by. God, I pray that you would keep our hearts burning for more of you, that it would allow us to take our hands off things that only you should have your hands on. Lord, help us to follow you no, no matter the cost so this world can see you in us and that you can get the glory and that we can live in the fullness of your will until we're home with you forever. God, I just pray that you would do this in each of our lives. Keep us from going through the motions, Lord. Help us to lay it all down for you and to follow you boldly. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. I'm so glad that you all have been with us today. I pray that you all would be blessed. There are a couple of words that people have prayed. If... Um, we really feel like the Lord is here to heal. And if you are having abdominal issues, we would love to pray for you before you go. Um, any jaw pain. Um, there is an anointing to free from all types of bondage, mental and emotional. This was a very specific word about shrapnel, the Lord removing shrapnel from your body. And the Lord um, turning the water back on in your life. If that's something that means something to you, it was a specific phrase someone heard. So if this is you, please come up and get prayer. Or if you feel like Jesus is doing in your something specific in your heart that you want us to partner in prayer for you for, please come up. We would love to pray for you. Have a blessed day.
Thank you for joining us online at Church of the Savior today. We hope you were encouraged to grow in your walk with Jesus. If you made a decision to follow Jesus for the first time today, please reach out to us. We would love to help you take your next step. Please visit our website for information on upcoming events and how you can connect with the COS family. There is also a prayer request form where you can let us know how we can pray for you. Thanks again for tuning in. Hope to see you next week.